But this morning, I'd like to get right to the point and turn to Second Peter chapter one, please. Second Peter chapter one. I guess you would say it's perhaps not your traditional Christmas passage, but boy, uh, if you really think about it, um, this is what Christmas is all about. And I'm going to read the first uh, couple verses of Second Peter. This is the last letter Peter writes before his home going. He is an elderly man at this point. And he is reflecting on the purity uh, of the church that needs to be established. And he's also reflecting on the gospel again. And uh, he is bringing to mind again the grace of God. And he says this in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, According as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What I'd like to do this morning is focus on that particular phrase, that by these, these precious promises of God, you might be partakers of of the divine nature, and hone it in a little bit, sharpen it in on on what Christmas is all about. And so I'd like to focus on that phrase, partakers of the divine nature. We can just leave that slide up the rest of the uh, message this time. This is less of an expository message and more of some meditations, devotional thoughts on the idea of being a partaker of the divine nature. So I want us to turn it over in our minds a little bit here and squeeze it and, and, and taste the flavor of it and grasp what it means for the past and the present and the future. Specifically connect it to, the, to Christ's incarnation that Christmas uh, should put us in awe of. And we're going to take this truth of being partakers of the divine nature and connect it to the Christmas with, with the idea of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. This morning I want to ask you this simple question. Why Christmas? Why the incarnation? Why did God have to become man? And our answer to that, a partial answer to that, is God had to become man so that God could die on the cross. So Jesus could die on the cross for our sins. But then I'd like to step back and ask another question. Well, why did Jesus Christ die on the, on the cross for our sins? Well, to take our sins away. But then I want to ask another question. Well, what's the other side of that as well? Why did he want to take our sins away? And the answer to that, I believe, is what we have here in 2 Peter 1, and really the the thrust of redemption, the thrust of the incarnation, the thrust of Christmas here, that the incarnation is is rooted in redemption to make the path to return to union with God. You see, incarnation is where redemption began in a certain sense. Um, God came down as a babe, lived perfectly, suffered, died, rose again, ascended, not just to take away our sins, but to take away our sins so that we would be set apart to God, so that we would be brought to Him. And so He left no barrier standing between man and God. He made the way, Jesus, the God-man, and He broke through the barriers. Think about the barriers. God as the Spirit, God invisible God, was separated to us by nature. Right? Um, we are physical. Uh, we have a spirit. Um, but God had no, God had no body. We're separated by nature. We're also separated through sin, through disobedience. And of course, we're separated 
through death. And God became man. He added Jesus Christ, the Son of God, added to His divine nature, a human nature, to share in our human nature. He lived in obedience, so He meets us in our sin. He dies on the cross for victory over sin. Romans 8, 3 says, uh, the, the Son became, uh, came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And then he crashes through that third barrier, that third wall of death in his resurrection and ascension. So let's bring it all together here. First of all, I want to think first of all of Christmas past. And how does Christmas, the incarnation, God in Christ, adding a complete human nature, make us partakers of what 2 Peter 1.4 says, partakers of the divine nature? We've got to ask ourselves, well, what, is, what, is that, what do those words mean? Partakers of the divine nature. And that word partaker in the original language is a word um, that, is, uh, that is the Greek word koinonia. And that word koinonia is the idea of fellowship and sharing. We talk about the fellowship that we have with other believers. We talk of the fellowship that we're supposed to, uh, supposed to walk uh, with, 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 our, with our Lord. The sharing, uh, the, the relationship. And, and that is the word, the koinonia... Of the divine nature, of the very nature of God. What is nature? Well, nature is is likeness, right? A, a, a resemblance uh, uh, is, is what J- Peter is saying here. We are we we share a resemblance of God. Now that shouldn't strike us. Oh, that should strike us um, odd in, in in one way, and it should make sense in another way. It should strike us odd that God wants to bring humanity into sharing His divine nature as God. Is not He God and God alone? But it also should not strike us that odd if we think about the truth that all the way back in Genesis 1, in the beginning, Genesis 1.26, we're told to be made in the image of God and to reflect certain characteristics of God. And so, being made in the image of God uh, and then being called to be partakers of the nature of God means that uh, the fallen nature, the sin that kept us from God, the barriers of humanity, the barriers of, of sin, and the barriers of death, now have been broken through by Jesus Christ, so that we more fully reflect the image of God. So Christmas passed. So in Jesus, the first Adam, whose sin is outdone by the second Adam, uh, by one man's disobedience, we plunged into sin and death. And by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Think about this. Eve. In Luke chapter 1, the angel appears to Mary. Miriam, a Jewish virgin, a young teenage girl here, and says, you're going to bear the promised one, the Messiah, the God-man. And so in Luke chapter 1, all the trauma, all the suffering, all the sin that Eve and Adam passed on to man, Eve now was met with Mary here, who bears the Redeemer. And man, who is a finite and limited being, who God has had a plan for an infinite destiny of life with God forever, God enfleshed Himself to join us to Himself through Mary, being born of a virgin, through the Holy Spirit. Because if we all fell through Adam, like Romans 5 tells us that we did, we needed a new beginning, a new birth. 
a new lineage. And Jesus, as the second and final Adam, is our new beginning. And this new beginning explodes, but it explodes upon the scene very quietly. It's a flash of light in Bethlehem, but it's very quiet. When Jesus is miraculously conceived and then born in Bethlehem and then for 30 years lives in virtual obscurity. Jesus is the new and final man who undoes what Adam did. What was lost in Adam is transformed in Jesus. And folks, when you think of the incarnation and, and, and its connection to you as an individual and a person and to you uh, as, as a part of Jesus' church, you need to think of that word, transformation. God changed, He joined Himself in humanity so that you could be transformed into His likeness. Be a sharer, a fellowshipper of the divine nature of God. The catastrophe of the cross was the way that opened up. The tree in the garden that was forbidden was met at Calvary with the tree on which Christ paid the price of sin and death on the cross. Adam's hands that that grabbed that fruit there in self-indulgence were covered with hands that were wide open on the cross. Adam's unrestraining hands were met with hands that were restrained to a wooden timber by nails to lead Adam to the tree of eternal life and all those in Adam. Eve, called the mother of all living in Genesis chapter 4, brings physical life. And Mary, as a virgin, brings eternal life through the Holy Spirit. The manger in Bethlehem shines over a closed-off garden of Eden. Christ becomes the replacement of all that Adam had done and became. The man Christ Jesus is the mediator between God and man because He is the God-man. He has declared us righteous. He's declared us like God. And enables us to become like God and restore the image of God. And the rest of the verse says to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. So that's Christmas past and that's what we usually think of, but that's what it means. But what about Christmas present? How does that affect us now? Well, the eternal life that God instills in us, that occurs in us at conversion, regeneration, when by faith in Christ alone and God's grace, it's the very life of God, the divine nature of God, that is implanted in us. So we become born again, regenerated, given a new heart. What kind of heart? The very heart of God, the Spirit implants, is a heart that, listen, is after the true image of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Christ, the beloved Son, you are now joined to. And this eternal life and new nature is present right now. We said last week, when, uh, when we looked at Titus 3, 1-7, through when we see hearts that are regenerated, that are made alive, that were dead and made alive by God, it is a glimpse of the new creation. And this eternal life and new nature is present right now. The fact that you do not... Uh, that, that you can say no to sin and the fact that you uh, reflect more and more of who Jesus is and Christ is being formed in you and you're being conformed to His image here is, 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 a, is, a, is being a partaker of the divine nature. You have the very nature of God implanted in you. The incarnation, Christmas, 
enables you and I to be a sharer in the divine nature, the very moral nature, purity of God right now through our salvation and in our sanctification, Christmas present here, a continual transforming and growing and forming into Christ. Listen, you and I have union with God in a very broken world, don't we? We have real union with God. In fact, Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. He says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass or mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. The same image. A partaker of the divine nature changed into the same image from glory to glory, from degree of glory to the next degree of glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we share characteristics of God now. We are, as Paul says in Ephesians, one new man. Uh, we, we are more like the world of God than we are the world of brokenness. Now it takes faith to believe that. It takes eyes of grace to see that in one another. But the um, uh, uh, permanence of God is unchangeableness here. The earth changes, right? The, the earth will pass away here. But God, His unchangeableness is connected to his, his, to his holiness, His purity, and His goodness. And if you look in the rest of the passages of Second Peter chapter 1, He says this, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So, so this process here of growing into the image of God is indeed that, a progression. It's a process. It's a procedure of growing more and more holy. And these virtues uh, that, that are described thereafter, 2 Peter 1 verse 4, make sense only because of 2 Peter 1 verse 4. You are partakers of the divine nature because of the promises of God. You've escaped the corruption that is in the world through desires. You're saying, well, I don't feel like I escaped much of it. Friends, are you right now where you we're not. In other words, as you look back, do you see how God has made you even more and more of a reflection of His glory than what you were before? And your progress might be slow, and it might feel like there's up and down, it might be shaky, but can you look back and say, I am not what I used to be? That's the divine nature implanted in you. And so Peter has this in mind when he claims that we can participate in the divine nature. We have a nature like God's, a moral nature like God's, which leads then ultimately to eternal life, right? So that's what I want to think about here with Christmas future. What Peter means by this phrase, being partakers of the divine nature, is that believers are promised that they will be like God. Not in every way. We will not be omnipotent, will we? A Peter is not saying that we'll actually become God. A Peter is saying, and he's not saying that we're going to share the divine nature in every single aspect. But what he is saying is we will share in the divine nature, we'll be morally perfected. In other words, 
that moral part of us, the, the holiness, the goodness, the love here, will be like God's. We will share in this divine nature. Uh, we will share in, in what verse 3 has the idea of moral excellence. We will be pure excellence like God is excellent in eternity. He's called us to what? To glory and virtue. The glory of God does not have a shred or a speck of corruption or darkness in it. It's pure. And Christmas enables us to join God in that in eternity. We'll share in that divine nature. We'll participate. We'll share in that. We will not become gods. Instead, we will share in who Jesus is. And we share in that now. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are like God to some extent, aren't we? We are declared to be like God. That's what justification is, to be righteous. But our sanctification is walking in that declaration of who God has said we are. But we are to know God and we are to be changed by Him at our conversion here. And, uh, uh, and, and so, we become like God. Are we becoming like God? And Peter here is kind of talking about this is true of you already, but yet not yet. There's that tension there. We'll be transformed. We'll be metamorphosized. We'll participate in the life of God here on this earth. And yet, there is still a future aspect to this, isn't there? And so Christmas future is this truth. That the course of the incarnation of Jesus enables us to become like God, to share in His God nature in its most full sense in the future. In the future. Christmas future. We will have the full experience of union with God in Christ. Being joined to God in Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we know in part now, but one day we will know in fullness. Um, John puts it this way, when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, today there's a veil, there's a, there's a cloud a little bit uh, over our eyes. Right? It's looking through, through eyes with cataracts a little bit. You, see, you, could, you could see things, but you, you can't see the crystal clarity yet in fullness, can you? But in heaven we will see Jesus in all His glory, and there will not be a tug of the old sin nature. There will not be a tug of a fallen world in self-preservation and trying to survive. Well, there. We will know Him in fullness. And when He appears, we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And he kind of, and John kind of leaves that hanging there. You know, you always get um, questions of what is, what's heaven going to be like and what our bodies are going to be like. And, and that's the answer that John gives. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be like Jesus. He will make us like Himself without corruption, pure, our nature will never more sin. We will perfectly, there will be no tarnish, no little nick, no dink in the mirror here. We will perfectly reflect the nature of God the Son as He shines forth, like the end of Revelation tells us, in full brilliance and glory. We will be transfigured. You get a little glimpse of it, don't you, on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus peels back the veil of his, of his humanity and shows us the glory that shines out and the men who are with them are shining with that same glory. Never again will there be a hint of impurity that will flash across our mind or even be present to tempt us. We will be glorified. It will be complete. 
And so this phrase here, this concept of being a sharer of the divine nature is only true because of the incarnation and redemption. It is present in us now. But in the future, if we were to have a human being who has been in the glory of God come right now and stand in our midst, C.S. Lewis makes the point in his essay, The Weight of Glory, that we would be tempted to fall down and worship them. You know why? Because they reflect so much of who God is. It would be wrong to worship them, but you see this happening in the book of Revelation, don't you? With angels and people in God's presence, uh, and beings in God's presence, come down to humanity. What does man do? They want to respond and worship. Why? Because that individual reflects the glory of God. And they're always correct and say, no, I'm a, cre- I'm a creature just like you. I've been created just like you. Worship the Creator. And if we can get that vision that we have shared in the nature of God and that one day it will be wrapped up and everything that God did with us to be God with us so that on the cross He could be God for us is now brought to a completion here so that He can say, I will be their God and they will be My people and He will reign with us forever. That helps your moment by moment, doesn't it? That helps your day by day. That helps the long week. That helps a difficult month. That helps looking back on a year that was not the best year ever. To see the future and the eternal hope that this is what God is creating us to be. And that's really the grand spectrum and aura of what Christmas is. That God became man so that we could become like God, as Athanasius said years ago. Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, thank you that you are making us like yourself, pure. You are shining forth your brilliance and your glory into our hearts as we look into your word and we are in awe of who our Savior Jesus is. Thank you, Lord, that we will never again in the future, in eternity, ever have to fight this. Uh, We won't have to fight um, preserving our own honor, preserving ourselves, fighting against the um, uh, temptations and corruption in this world, Lord. But we will be glorified and it will be done and complete. We look forward to that and we're reminded that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to bring us to God, to show forth the excellencies of His glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing uh, two verses of O Come All Ye Faithful, verse 1 and 3. It's 201 in your hymn book. And then we'll um, partake of the Lord's Supper, remembering the very means by which we are sharers of the divine nature. Jesus died on the cross for our sins to bring us to God. Let's stand and sing, O Come All Ye Faithful.